Hi, Gigi gang. Welcome back to another episode of Gossip Girlies. I'm Cassie. And I'm Kristen. And we are super excited for this episode today because we're having our first guest. I'm so excited. We have Miss Allie Bird with us, and she's going to be talking to us about her book, Grief Ally. I'm so excited, Allie. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I am I am so happy to be here and, and chat with you and hang out. Yes. And even though, as you can probably tell, that we're going to get into maybe some heavier topics, but I'm sure we'll still make it fun and light, and but also learn and share along the way. Absolutely. You can have it both ways. <laughs> so first, you know, obviously me and Kristen did read the book and we're going to definitely be giving our 10 out of 10 review on our highlight reels this week. So <laughs> we just kind of want to give the listeners kind of an idea of who you are and kind of how you got started on writing the book and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I am a coach. Um, I have a background in community development. I am a therapist in training. And in 2019, I was moving through life, um, thought I was doing a pretty good job at it. And all of a sudden, my husband died completely unexpectedly, hiking accident. And I was thrown into the world of grief uh, without any understanding of what was happening to my body, what was happening in my brain and the world around me, like everything was changed. Um, and very early on in the process, uh, a grief expert, someone who, you know, was a role model uh, suggested that I go find community. So I tried, I joined 13 different Facebook groups. And before sharing my own story, I was listening to my widowed peers and what I discovered was that they were feeling very abandoned and misunderstood and forgotten. And I couldn't relate because the people around me were doing such a good job of staying engaged, continuously showing up, even if they were making mistakes or being afraid and anxious. And so I, being a person who was very much in my brain, I'm a cognitive instrumental griever, which I'm sure we'll get into the definitions of those. Um, but for me, my grief experience was very like about problem solving and understanding the science of what was what was happening to my brain and body and my environment. Um, so I kind of took this really positive support experience that I was having along with all this research that I was doing, as well as my background in coaching and community development and put it all into this tool, which became Grief Ally, the book, helping people you love cope with death, loss, and grief. And um, that's kind of where I am today, trying to help people help others who are bereaved by giving them kind of a, a roadmap for how to show up when something really bad happens to someone they love. Right. And I think that is what makes your book so different. I've never seen anything like it. It's not just a, you've had a terrible thing happen to you. Here's how to get through it personally. Mm -hmm. It's more of a focusing on how to help someone in your life get through it, which I think 
I've already been in a situation like that where I've had close friends lose somebody and you have mm-hmm. the feeling of just like, I don't know what to do mm-hmm. to help them. I want to help them, but I don't know how. Um, so when you had, when you experienced your loss, can you tell us a little bit about the people in your life who rallied around you and were grief allies? You know, what did they look like? What did they do for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Sorry, I'm going to cough. Great. Cough break. A round of coughing for everyone. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah. So my, my support people were amazing. Um, I call them my front row. Uh, so in the book, I talk about this concept of being a front row student to someone who is in grief because grief is so, ex- it, so unique for every person that there aren't really like specifics about what I can say to really be there. But what I say is to be a front row student, um, respect the person that you're trying to help as the expert. So I have a few best friends who, you know, I called instantly. And the things that they really did were let me be the leader and respected everything that I asked for and that I needed and did that with unconditional love and just complete respect for how I was going to move through this situation. Um, But I can give you like some really like specific examples. So I have a a friend who, you know, after someone dies, you get the message about like, oh, bring food. Like food is like the thing you do, right? Mm -hmm. This friend is not, uh, she does not spend time in the kitchen. Like takeout is like her go-to. And then in terms of food, she like brought a box of like Ritz crackers because that's like her like comfort food. But she's like the most amazing like note taker and her attention to detail is fantastic. So when I was having really important like conversations or like looking at paperwork, like she was the person who was there next to me and really paying attention when I didn't have full use of my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, Other people, you know, showed up and like, cleaned my bathtub um because I was like I would like to be in my bath but it's a mess right now um and they were like no problem I got this and you know there were other people who like brought food and stuff too but I think the the important thing about grief support and I teach this in the book is that use your own strengths and assets like you do not have to be the food person um if you are not good at food (laughs) right? If that is not your thing, you have other assets, you have a guest room, you have access to a hot tub, you're great with like walking the dog, um, whatever, like there are other tasks that you can do that really play to your strengths. Um, and like, that's where you can be useful. Right. Because of course eating is very important, but think of of like just every single thing that we do every day that someone who's going through grief, like probably needs help with. There are hundreds of things, basically. Exactly. Um, And I also, like, I advocate, like, I I have this message of, you know, food will often get you in the door, but then what you do when you get inside, like, what are you going to do then? Mm -hmm. And and what you do when you're inside matters as well, Um, which is really why I wrote the book. Because if you really love someone, like, you care deeply about them, you're one of the people who are like, yes, I'm going to bring food. Like food is often not enough. Um, 
which is why there are also many other lessons um, in the book as well, uh, because it, it, it does matter how you show up and social support is everything um, when things happen. Yeah, life inevitably ends. It's so funny though, because I'd honestly never really sat and thought about like, okay, when people have passed away in my life, people brought us a lot of food. And then I started sitting there thinking about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I remember after my grandma passed being like, I can't eat another piece of chicken if someone put it in front of me. So I feel like you kind of like explaining that and like being like, yeah, that wasn't enough. Like that wasn't what our family needed in that moment. And like, I felt like it was such a good example to like, hopefully help people think like, okay, yeah, it still might be nice if I bring them something to eat so they don't have to worry about it. But maybe I should like actually stay and sit down and be like, what do you need to talk about right now? Like, instead of just here's food. So you don't have to think about that one thing. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not discounting the food, like by all means, like, right, a lasagna. like I yeah. love that. Like, Oh man, carbs, like give it to me. Right. Yes. Um, but also like, there's so much more that needs to go into the process of and conceptualization of how we show up for people who are bereaved rather than exclusively like what their next meal is going to be. Yes. Mm -hmm. So through this whole process, I'm sure, uh, like aside from your own grief, I'm I'm sure that there are also people in your life who have lost a loved one. So what are some of your favorite ways personally to show up as a grief ally? What do you really think that you're good at in being an ally? Mm, I think my my greatest strength is like I am willing to like sit with discomfort and ambiguity and like pain and suffering really and like I will be the person who will sit next to you like we don't have to talk um but like I will say like everything you are feeling is valid and it is okay um yeah and I think that that's a learned skill um obviously like I I talk about in the book like some mistakes that I have made like we don't learn the skills to like be a grief ally this is something like this is knowledge that we have to seek out really like in western culture in my mm -hmm. opinion um and i have learned like through life experience um what i am good at as well as like what i want to do um in a grief support role um and yeah it is definitely like sitting with discomfort um and that doesn't always mean like in the context of death either like when times are shitty, right? Like during COVID, like people losing their jobs or, you know, life plans getting postponed, like all those things are ideas and, and notions that we have about ourselves that we're attached to. And then when that doesn't happen, like that is grief and you can practice grief allyship in those moments. And um, I think, yeah, that's, that's where my strength is, is probably like pointing it out and being like, um, Hey, like that's your experience in grief right now. Like, do you want to mm -hmm. just like take a minute and acknowledge how shitty this is? Like we can do that. Yeah. Even though, like you said, it's uncomfortable, it's weird. Grief is not 
a very good feeling. So, I mean, that's kind of how I personally deal with things. Like whenever I have a sad thought, I'm like, oh, if I just don't think about the sad thing, then I won't get sad, which is like a total terrible way of, of coping with anything. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, but Aren't I feel <laughs> right. I find that too, a, a lot of the skills that you talk about in the book, it's not even just specific to grief. Like you could do this if you have a friend who has a baby, mm-hmm. even though Absolutely. like, I don't have a child, I can't really relate to you, but I will show up for you. Or you have a friend who recently went through a terrible breakup. Like, how can I just show up for you in this thing? And like you're saying, it, it can show up as grief too, you know, with a, with the loss of a relationship, you can grieve mm-hmm. that relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm so happy you brought that up, Kristen, because like, I think the, yes, the book is written like more specifically for grief. And I think a lot of people, when something bad happens, they are looking for the answers to like, what do I do and how do I help? But really the lessons in there are like just great life lessons about how to be in relationship with other people Mm -hmm. right whether that's a friendship whether that's like a sibling whether that's a relationship with like an intimate partner like these are just really good lessons for how to be a like kind and caring human being Mm -hmm. it's just a different type of loss yeah exactly um which you know we can talk about like the I think people have it in their minds that grief only happens when people die. Mm-hmm. And like, that simply isn't true, right? Like grief is a rea- like, a, it is in our DNA to attach to people and to places and to things and ideas, whether that's they're good for us or bad for us or just happen because, you know, it's our biological family. Um, and when those attachments like shift or change, in any way there's like an energetic tension that's created and that in itself is grief so if there's like a goal that you you had for yourself and you didn't reach it like oh yep there's grief like (laughs) someone becoming a mother and like this change in identity like that's grief too Mm -hmm. um so it's not always death Mm -hmm. or physical like human death right Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting bringing up the mom thing. I don't remember exactly where I saw it, but so this woman gave birth and she was just like, I feel like sad. Like I love my baby, but I feel so sad. And her mom was like, well, you're grieving, like you're grieving the person that you were before and how you can never be that person again. So I really love how in the book, I feel like you touched on that. It was not just loss And another thing that I loved was just you were really breaking down those societal standards and like the stigmatism that comes with grieving however you need to grieve. And I mean, there were points where I was like literally getting emotional reading it myself. Mm -hmm. I was like, this girl is just telling me like all these other people forget about them, like do what you got to do. And I hope that was the message that you were trying to explain and I took it correctly, but I'm even getting like a little bit emotional talking to you right now about it. I'm like, I got tears in my eyes, but um, I think it was so helpful even like being someone who has lost people before. So yeah, I really appreciated your book if I didn't already say that and uh, just really enjoyed your insight on everything and breaking down those stigmas too. Thank you, Cassie. That, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, in our culture, there's a lot of misconceptions about grief. And one of them is like the time that it takes to like get better about it, mm-hmm. like feeling about it. Cause the, and, but the reality is, is that it never ends. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think our there's a great organization called Being Here Human, and they like equate the concept of grief to childbirth. And a woman's body knows what to do when a baby is being born. It kind of happens involuntarily, whether you are ready or not, right? They're like, this baby is coming out. Mm-hmm. Grief is the same way. Like I, our bodies innately know how to grieve changes in attachment, but we have done a real disservice in our culture of erasing the things that are hard mm-hmm. and that are uncomfortable. And we can numb with all sorts of, you know, drugs, alcohol, work, exercise, food, so that we don't feel any of that like pain and discomfort. But then when grief happens, particularly if it's like a death related loss, and that person is kind of gone from our physical lives forever, we're like, what do we do with this pain? Because it it is unlike anything else. And it can't be fixed. The only thing that would fix it is if that person came back from the dead and that's not possible, right? So Mm -hmm. it's always this tension that kind of lives within us that our bodies know what to do with, but our culture is telling us like, don't feel bad, don't feel sad, don't feel angry, particularly if you're a woman Mm -hmm. um, and like get over it as quickly as possible so that we can get on with the life that you had before. And the reality is that like death changes everything. And that is okay. Like it is okay for losses in our life to reorganize the way we operate in -hmm. the world. Um, But we get so stuck in a culture that doesn't want us to change, that wants us to keep moving forward with blinders on at the Mm -hmm. expense of ourselves. And I really, I really don't think that's fair. And I'm so happy you took that lesson um, from the book that, you know, you are allowed to do what feels right to you to cope with the pain of loss. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Mm -hmm. if you're working somewhere and it's like, I only have three weeks of bereavement leave before I apparently need to get my shit together and somehow like work (laughs) again, like impossible. Okay. Yes. There, there are so many barriers. Um, Yeah. From bereavement leave to, you know, being in relationships that don't acknowledge our loss. And we can talk about disenfranchised grief and like, yeah, there's, there is a certain privilege that comes with being able to um, experience and give yourself the space that um, your grief really needs um, to, to live alongside it. Yeah. You talk about this in the book too. It, it, sometimes it kind of feels like too that people just kind of want to like drag you out of your grief hole by saying at least you got the time with him or her that you did or at least they're not suffering anymore and it's like at least but that person is not here anymore you know like I could have gotten more time with that person um which you know if someone says that you you hope that it's coming from a good place but it's like, I'm not really trying to look for like silver linings right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Although it, it exactly. may help you feel better, but like, it's not really what I want to hear in this moment. And I think that's, that's a big, um, like these cliches exist because we haven't, <laughs> we haven't, um, when you are down 
and like in your pain and suffering, like the last thing you want to do is be like, um, excuse me, let me just police your language for a moment here. Uh Right. But like looking back on it, it's like, yeah, like a lot of these phrases, the, the service that they are offering is for the person saying them Mm -hmm. less about the person who they are trying to comfort. Mm -hmm. Like the, the at least thing is like, um, in the book, I talk about the ghost sentence, which is a, which is a Megan Divine um, tool with like every time you use an at least phrase, there's a missing half of the sentence, the ghost sentence, which essentially says, so stop feeling so bad. So in the book, I use the phrase like, at least you got five good years with him in brackets. So stop feeling so bad. Mm-hmm. And right, like no one actually told me to stop feeling so bad. Um, but the like the concept of like, hey, you should be grateful for this and you know stop feeling so bad and like that that sucks mm-hmm. like I I am allowed to appreciate that I got the time with Will that I did but I am also allowed to be like deeply saddened by the fact that I don't get a future with him either a hundred percent yeah Something else that I really liked that you brought up was like how if you don't handle the grieving process properly, how it can affect you physically, whether Mm. it's like your brain kind of altering different pathways or even turning into like actual physical health issues. Yeah. Um, And I think like this isn't exclusive to grief. This is just like a really great basic self-care lesson Mm -hmm. that like if you do not acknowledge your feelings and emotions, and I recognize that there is a level of privilege that comes with that, um, you need to be able to have like the space and resources to acknowledge what it is that you're feeling and have that level of self-awareness. But if you don't, like it lives inside of you, it needs to get out some way it wants to get your attention. So if you don't give it the attention that it asks for, like off the bat, it's going to manifest as anxiety, depression, stomach issues, Mm -hmm. like illness. And um, you're not going to be in a position to help anyone. And you're going to be in a poor position to help yourself too, if you let that go too far. Mm -hmm. I think so many people don't think about like how it could end up affecting you in other ways if you don't take the time or the opportunity to at least try to really feel and handle. But I definitely understand what you're saying about being a privilege. Like there are definitely situations where people just might not know which you're trying to help, which I love and appreciate (laughs) Um, the resources or might not have people around them that are equipped to handle them through that. So um I hadn't really thought about it that way. So I appreciate you bringing that up. That is definitely something unfortunate. Yeah. You know, you talked about like only getting a short amount of time, like if you have bereavement leave, right. And if, if you are, and bereavement leave often is like, you have to be a direct like descendant (laughs) or it has to be like your child or like Mm -hmm. your spouse for you to be able to like take time off work. Um, but it's like, what if it's your best friend mm-hmm. who died? Like, what if it's one of you two Ugh. that died? You know, like the, you wouldn't like, I don't know what your, your day jobs are, unfortunately, but like realistically, <laughs> like you wouldn't like get that bereavement leave mm-hmm. and yet you would feel significant loss mm-hmm. um, from that death. Um, so yeah, there is, there is certainly a privilege with it, but to, 
to be fair, there are also, it doesn't necessarily have to, you don't have to have bereavement leave to cope with some of those feelings. There are like smaller, more tangible things that you can do. And I teach this in the book about self-care. of just like being self-aware, just recognizing like, and it doesn't, you don't have, even have to name it sometimes. Just like, hey, I'm like feeling a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, and I'm just going to recognize that and own it and I can sit with that. Um, but if you can name it and it's like, oh, like this discomfort is like anger. Like I'm feeling like the injustice of this loss or this change in attachment for whatever reason. Um, and then do something with it. Like if you're angry, like, you know, with within the realm of like, don't bring harm to yourself and don't harm others. But like maybe screaming into a pillow is like going to help. Instead of like, you know, clenching your jaw and just like fighting your way through it. Um, that can be a really useful tactic. I am a I screamed huge, into plenty of pillows. Yes. I was about to say, <laughs> I am a huge proponent of the screaming method. Um, yeah. My stepsister and I, every time we go to the beach, we scream into the water when we're at our parents' house, scream into the forest. Beautiful. It, honestly, the first time she made me do it with her, I was like, this is so weird. Like, what are you doing? She's like, just trust me, just do it. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I just got so much out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really powerful. <laughs> I thought it was so important too. Like the way that I uh, kind of looked at your steps through being a grief ally, I don't know if this is like your intention, but I kind of looked at it as kind of like a hierarchy where at the very bottom, it's like, you can't be a very good ally if you yourself are not great, you know, whatever that means, especially if you are also grieving this person who is no longer here. Um, And that I had just never even considered that before. It's like, before you show up for people, you got to be ready for them, like, you know, to hold them up. Um, And I think that's, you got to be selfish for a minute and you got to realize like, I also like am kind of going through it right now. Let me take care of me and then I will be there front row. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, I mean, going back to like misconceptions about grief, I think there's this idea that like when someone dies, there is a short window of time where you have to show up. And if you don't show up in that period of time, then you're a horrible person. And it means that you don't love them and all this stuff. But like, realistically like it is okay to just be like hey I acknowledge this I am here for you and then at each moment that you engage just check in with yourself before you do it doesn't like it doesn't have to be like a huge like hey I need to like do a therapy session before I like you know go over to this person's house but just like a a a subtle like check-in like how am I doing? Am I, do I have all my needs met before I am entering this situation, which is going to be extremely uncomfortable and unpredictable. Um, and the best thing that you can do to be supportive to someone else is to like be there as your whole person and to understand what, what your strengths and limitations are in that. And that was a big thing. Like Will's death was, was sudden and completely unexpected, but I noticed a lot of people taking out like their like shock and anxiety instead of like reflecting inwards being like oh man I I am affected by this like this is not a small thing um they were like I am anxious and I'm going to take all that anxious energy and just pour it into helping you 
Um, and me being at the, like the epicenter of this tragedy, like I was in shock and I was in shock for a very long time. And my like trauma response in those situations was to fawn. I was very aware and very tuned into the needs of everyone else. And I could see it on their faces. Like they were not okay. And I'm not saying that you have to be like 100% to show up. I'm just asking for a little bit more self-reflection before entering that situation. Um, you know, on a, an airplane, they tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first. And that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. Just being like, hey, what do I need to be in this situation? Cool. Got it. All right. Let's head in. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, I experienced similar fawning to <laughs> in situations like that. So do you think that like in, and this might be asking a question that you might not be able to answer. So sorry if it is, but do you think that the same applies for other t- like trauma responses. Like if you are more like fight or flight, or I know there's other ones that I'm just not familiar with. Do you think that the reaction would be similar? Or do you think to people coming in and still kind of have like having not that self-awareness of like checking themselves, or do you think it kind of changes depending on how the person experiencing the trauma reacts? Does that make any um, sense? At all? Are you are you talking <laughs> about the person in the in a like a like an allyship role, like yeah. what their trauma responses and how they're going to act? Or like I guess like depending on I feel like now I'm just like going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> um, no, please try tra- tra- I'm totally cool talking about trauma. I just want to understand <laughs> your question. So I guess like if the person who has experienced the trauma directly has a different type of trauma response do you think that affects how they feel about people who are coming to them maybe not being self-aware yeah I I think so definitely I think my my fawning response gave me like greater insight into what was happening in the situation Mm -hmm. a person who has more of a fight response might have just been like might have fought them off (laughs) get out (laughs) or yeah exactly um or just been like completely angry and like you know maybe I would have tried to burn my house down if you know that was my response right Mm -hmm. um yeah so there's like fight flight freeze fawn I think there's another one um but yeah I whatever the person's like the person at the center, um, whatever their trauma response is, I think you still need that self-awareness coming in, um, fully recognizing that you might be having your own trauma response, mm-hmm. right? And in that situation, you might recognize that like, hey, I'm a flight, like my And I think that's actually probably quite common in the context of grief support because it is such an uncomfortable people are so death adverse until they've actually come being half like have to endure loss themselves. Do they realize that like it is very significant? Um, But if they haven't had that lived experience, like they may want to run. Mm -hmm. And that self-awareness is just like recognizing like, Hey, I am terribly afraid of entering this situation because of what I am going to feel when I get there. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's okay. I mean, you can still show up if you're afraid. Um, you can still show up if you're anxious. Um, 
but yeah, being, being open and um, willing to explore the, the experience that you're having, whether it's a trauma response, whether it's discomfort, um, whether it's feeling like a desperate need to be in the room um, with that person. I think that all factors into the situation. Absolutely. Wow. I feel like it's so crazy. Like hearing you talk about like it, like literally everyone's trauma response is like fighting against each other and (laughs) how everyone has to know how everyone is like reacting. I've just never thought about it that way. Yeah. And I mean, that's like why I think, I mean, I don't know scientifically, but why I would um, presume that in the days after someone dies, like it's a very like chaotic, tension is high, fights erupt, like people like do not sleep well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people are often like outside of their comfort zones and our, you know, we only have so much of like adrenal stores to like get us through those those trauma responses those like high intensity situations and grief is not a short-lived experience and all those trauma responses come from like our ancestors like getting or they're built for things that we need to do in the short term whether it's like pulling someone out of a burning building or Mm -hmm. like darting out of the way, if like a car is going to hit us or that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And we bring all that like intense action oriented, like survival stuff into the situation when in fact, like this is an endurance event. It's more than a sport. Like you talk about like sporting endurance event. Like it is so much greater than that. Um, like and lifelong yet we bring event very, exactly yeah. <laughs> and we bring these very like short-term tools mm-hmm. um into the situation which is another reason for the book and like having a more like long long-term outlook on how how you need to show up mm-hmm. um so kind of going off of that if you let's say if you're the person who's going through the immediate loss what are some ways that you could maybe ask for help or if someone is showing up for you and they're just like kind of not helping, what are some things that you can say to be like, Hey, it would, it would mean much more to me if you did this other thing, or I don't like it when you do this thing. Mm, That's a great, that's a great question. Um, So I would advocate for anyone who is showing up like, show up first with the under like with unconditional love recognize that everybody in this situation because grief is so unique to every person there is no way that you can show up and be perfect so you are going to make mistakes and that's just off the bat understand that and with unconditional love you're going to get through it like love each other no matter what that's really important for a person who is at the in the like immediacy of it um very close to the person who died I would say that giving feedback is okay it's going to take some courage to do that um but the more agency 
that you exert, particularly if there is trauma involved with the loss, the better off you are going to be later on down the road. Um, And then in a person in a support role, I would say like, be specific about how you can help and how you want to help. So for example, like showing up and saying like, hey, I suck in the kitchen, but I can help you with any like legal or administrative tasks. I am willing to show up and like help you clean your house like every Saturday morning. I go to the grocery store or I go to X store, you know, on Thursdays after work, send me your list and you don't have to leave the house. I will just drop things off at your door. Um, And then also like continuously remind that person that you do love them unconditionally and that you're open to feedback. That makes that those lines of communication much easier to navigate because the kind of the message that is often you know thrown around is like don't disappear um and let them know that you are available but it is much easier to provide like feedback and like redirection if someone is like forthcoming in like how they are going to help so a message saying like i'm here if you need anything doesn't really give me the the understanding of like what it is that you actually like want and are capable of doing Mm -hmm. so I'd say like specifics are are welcome and encouraged yeah and I I thought it was great too that you make a point in the book and I think especially now like every we can zoom we can FaceTime do whatever these are not just limited to people who are there you can do an abundance of things even if you are not physically with the person or enabled to be physically with the person like that is not a barrier at all and I think you listed a lot of really good ideas um to help someone if you're not physically there yeah so it's a great great point so um in the book I talk about active listening as like the one skill that everybody needs to have. And this goes along the lines of two of like, if you bring food, like that'll get you through the door, but what are you going to do when you get there? And active listening is like the real key um, to all of this. So active listening can happen. Yeah. In person, it can happen on zoom or FaceTime. It can also happen just like on a phone call. Um, But really being capable of listening without any intention of trying to fix the person or like change their state just let them get things off their chest Mm -hmm. and to know that you are a safe space to do that is wildly powerful for someone who in our culture is probably being encouraged to like hurry up and get over it Mm -hmm. and to like get on with life Mm -hmm. giving them a space to be like hey what you are feeling is valid everything you are feeling is okay there is nothing wrong with you like this is a very human experience and I am not going to abandon you is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Even just hearing you say it right now, I'm like, yes, preach girl, preach. (laughs) (laughs) It is Sunday and we are at church. Yes. Welcome to Gotham. (laughs) Pastor Allie. (laughs) Pastor Allie in the sermon today. (laughs) Yeah. And this right here, this is our Bible. all your ceremonies. Yeah, oh, hand on the Bible. Bible. <laughs> Love it. 
Um, I'm glad you brought up active listening because that's just something that I, as a human, just try to be good at, mm. um, you know, in terms of not giving unsolicited advice, not saying, oh my gosh, well, I experienced something similar too when this thing happened to me. So what are some other traits of a really good active listener that it doesn't necessarily have to be grief specific, but you know, what are some really good ways to just also check in with yourself and being like, am I, am I an active listener right now? Yeah. So I think the first like hallmark of active listening is that you are listening to understand and to learn. And that is the only thing that you are doing. I know a lot of us like walk through conversations in life and we listen to someone with the intention of like, how are we going to respond? And we're just queuing up what we're going to say next, right? Active listening, you don't do that. Active listening, you are paying attention with all your senses to the person that you are listening to. Um, you're, you're taking in their body language. If that's available to you, you are encouraging them to continue with what's called like immediacy behaviors. So all those things that are like, mm, okay, uh-huh. And like a nod to like, yep, like keep going. I'm like here and I'm listening. Your body language is like positioned towards them. You're not checking your phone. You're not like watching TV in the background. Um, you can eat maybe, I don't know, drink a cup of tea. Like that seems appropriate. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it's repeating the language that they are using. Um, so if someone goes like, this hurts so bad and you say back, like, I understand that it hurts so bad. Um, they're like, thank you for sharing that with me. Like that makes so much sense. Um, those words really like they communicate that you are listening. I think another misconception too, is that like, if you put yourself in a grief allyship role or put yourself in a, in a position where you're listening to someone who might have a story that brings you some discomfort that cry, like you, you're worried that you're going to cry. Um, and I want to make it clear to everyone that if you are listening to someone and they are telling your story and you start crying, there is no greater evidence that you are truly listening and being moved by what it is they're saying because you are crying. That's a really, really beautiful and powerful thing to give to someone. Um, so don't don't worry about crying. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I am a crier. If you haven't figured that one out already, <laughs> I'm a crier too. I love it. Like, bring on the tears. Like, there's actual like hormone. Like, there's like some sort of like chemical that our body produces in our tears that's like liquid Tylenol, like running down our eyes when we cry from emotion. So bring it on. It's good for us. Oh, I love to hear that. And I also will give kudos to Kristen because she is a great active listener. She always makes me feel supported and like my feelings are valid. So thank you, girly girl. Thank you so much. Of course. I'm trying to get better every day. But And that's a great, great point too, is that um, active listening isn't something that like we're really taught to do and like anybody can learn the skill and it it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of practice to get good. So like in any relationship that you are in, whether like you work at a, you're a cashier somewhere, like you can practice active listening like mm-hmm. on a regular basis and get really good at it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I guess as we start to wrap up a little bit here, I understand this is like kind of the bigger point of, of your book, Grief Ally, but what is your advice to someone who says, 
I can't show up for this person in my life because I don't have the emotional strength or I don't have the tools that I think they need for me to help them. What is your advice to kind of get somebody to become a grief ally? So first of all, buy the book, read the book. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Um, But I think the, (laughs) I think the, um, the overall lesson. And I, I think like, this is like at the root of being a grief ally is that recognize that your job is not to fix this. You do, you are not that powerful. No one is. And that is okay. Um, what you can do is make this person's life more comfortable and easier. Um, whether that's just like in the moment with them, by being able to just like sit and listen and witness what they're experiencing to using your, you know, your assets and um, saying like, Hey, you want to come spend the weekend at my house? Like I'll make you breakfast. You can have your own room. You can do whatever you want in there, but like, I will provide you all your meals and you don't have to worry about anything. Um, I think anybody can be a grief ally personally, whether you are a, an overly emotional person or someone who is not an emotional person. Emotions don't really have anything to do with it. Like if you are a person who is self-aware enough to recognize that you love someone who needs your help and to know like, Hey, this is what I'm good at. And this is what I can do. Then you can be a grief ally. Okay. That's really powerful. And yeah, because I know a lot of people, um, they may have the feeling that, you know, they themselves are emotionally guarded or maybe they, you know, haven't gone through an immediate loss in their life to be able to relate to somebody else on that level. Um, and I think that's, that's really reassuring for me to hear personally, because I feel like whenever someone in my life goes through a loss, I always feel like I wish that I could like take some of their pain. Like I wish that they could like lift off 20% of their pain and put it on me so I can carry it. And although it's not possible, but there are ways to sort of like make it a little softer, make it a little less heavy. Um, but but just remembering that like, you're not going to, you're not going to cure them. You can't, you can't do that. Um, no, no. And, and, you know, I, I have the rules of like, make their life easier and more comfortable. And a part of that is just empowering them to do what feels right for them in coping with how they are grieving and how their grief is like coming up for them. Um, cause quite likely, like, I know, I know this for sure. Shame is a real risk for bereaved people, as well as the grief allies. The grief allies are always wondering, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I being helpful? Am am I making a difference in this situation? And everybody who's grieving is like, am I doing this wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Like, will people be repelled by the version of me that I am becoming because of my grief. Um, And to know that it's happening on both sides, the more open we are in our relationships and communicating and like being able to hold space for those people, for the people who are showing up for us and for ourselves, um, 
the better off we are all going to be like moving down the road and making space for for grief that is out in the open and allowed and the best uh the best for us um in how we we need to to cope with it and integrate it into our lives it's very yeah. powerful stuff yeah <laughs> it is well you know, and I, I like like selfishly like that's the world I want to live in you mm-hmm. know if we're being really candid here like I am a changed person um because Will died and to expect me to be the person that I was when he was here is impossible because he mm-hmm. was such an integral part of my life mm-hmm. um and yet I I still worry like in certain circles like maybe if if I bring my grief with me and I give it a seat at the table like am I going to be shunned or like you know you see it in people's eyes like oh no we're talking about death and I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I don't want to live in a world like that to be very honest but like death is a big part of my story and who I am today so the more we talk about these conversations, the more we equip people with the tools to like live in relation with others um, in this way, the the more life everybody gets to experience. And um, yeah, that's the future I really want. No, I definitely understand where you're coming from. It makes you a different person. And that was something that I appreciated you mentioning in your book because you know it goes back to those cliches you were saying and like everybody just kind of giving you this like well you know you'll you're starting to look like you did before you're happy like you were before it's like ma'am sir whoever you may be I will literally never be the same after this experience and honestly for you to say that to me right now is like please go away go away yeah 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 like you obviously have not experienced what I have experienced it, yep exactly exactly yeah, your How ignorance much is showing you. yes exactly <laughs> yeah well the last thing we kind of wanted to ask was just you know how obviously we just talked about the fact that you're different now so how do you feel <laughs> that even maybe writing the book finally getting it out there and published how has your life changed since and what else should we be keeping our eye out for Oh, <laughs> I love that question. Um, yes. Um, you know, the book, to say it like saved my life might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I think there's a big misconception that, you know, grief is the same as like sadness. And yes, it is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but there there can be like any feeling on the feeling wheel is applicable in grief. And for me, this book has given me given me purpose and it brought me a lot of joy in some really like dark times Mm -hmm. um and selfishly the the book is a way that I get to keep Will alive with new people that I meet Mm -hmm. um and that that is something that is is really special to me um also like I like the person that I am today. I would never go back and choose any of this. Like, I am not grateful for how I ended up being this person. 
but I do like the person that I am. I probably like her a hell of a lot more than the person that I was in 2019. Um, and that's just, you know, how grief changes us. Um, and in terms of the future, um, ooh, <laughs> juicy. Um, <laughs> give us the gossip. tea, girl. Gossip, give us the gossip. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I am hoping to uh, launch some grief allyship training programs um, so that if people aren't, you know, the book type um, that they can do the course and still equip themselves with the tools or, you know, dig a little deeper if this is something that they, they really want to do. Um, hopefully a few more books in my future too. Um, but while I'm doing all that, I am finishing up school to be a, um, a counselor. Uh, so I start my practicum in September and I'm going to be working as a grief therapist, um, starting then. So a lot of stuff happening in the future. Love it. That's awesome. And I, I love stories like that, where you take this terrible thing and it changes you forever, but you do change it into a beautiful, productive thing that is, you know, most definitely who's like, who knows what your life would have been like if Will were still here. Um, but who knows? I try not to think about it, but yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, but no, it's like the resource that you put out here is, is amazing. So other than of course your book, um, what other resources do you recommend to people who are either experiencing grief or just want to learn more about being a grief ally? What are some good resources? Yeah. So first resource I'll recommend, I have a, a free Facebook group called grief ally nation that anybody can join. Um, it's a great place to ask questions or act, um, practice active listening or receive some active listening if you need to get something off your chest. Um, in my book, there is also a master resource list. You can find that also on my website um, or in my um, Instagram profile. And it is a list of podcasts, books, talks, um, journal articles that I highly recommend as like my go-to resources if you really want to do into a a deep dive um, into grief. Um, In terms of people specifically, I'm a huge fan of Megan Devine's work. She wrote, it's okay that you're not okay. Um, And it would be like, if you're going to read another book after you read my book, I would highly recommend that one. Okay, that's really, really start with grief ally, duh. Yes. Of course. So speaking of which, um, anybody listening, where can they find your book? Where can they get it? So um, it is on all major book retailers. You can order it online. Um, You can get it from a small book uh, bookstore too. If you want to shop local, you just have to call them and ask them to order it for you. Um, And then it's also available um, as a, you can get it in like a paperback, but it's also on Kindle and it's an audiobook. So however you want to consume the information, it is acceptable, but you can find the links to all the the buying resources at alliebird.com slash book. Well, let me tell you, girl, I got you covered because my Kindle died and I had to go on Apple Books and purchase it again. I was like, Miss Allie, I got you. (laughs) She double dipping. Yeah, let me get all those residuals. (laughs) That's great. You're the 79 cents I got from Apple. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And lastly, so where can people connect with you on social media? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as the Allie Bird. Super Beautiful. simple. 
Awesome. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. This was awesome. Again, very first guest doesn't get much better than this, but this I thought was just a wonderful experience. Um, it's so awesome to actually talk to the author and talk to the person who, who created this wonderful resource. And I can only imagine all the, all of the different research and things that you went through to get this book published. Um, so it was yeah. awesome. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for giving this resource to us. Um, and we look forward to all the, all the good stuff that's going to be coming from Miss Allie Bird. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was so wonderful. I would have never known that I was your first guest. <laughs> seamless flawless work <laughs> thank you thank you Allie thank you, <laughs> thank um, you so but again I just want to thank you so much like Kristen said for putting this resource out there um you know I've experienced grief. Everyone has experienced going through it. And like I said earlier, I think it's not even just for people trying to be an ally, but it was just like so insightful thinking about how I went through the process during those times. And I think it's, you know, it's going to change how I go through the grief process in the future. And I hope that other people can, you know, get the opportunity to read the book and it'll help them in the future. And I just think it's so beautiful and amazing how you've taken this you know, terrible situation and turned it into something that is going to be, you know, changing people's lives. And it made such a difference and such a huge impact in your own life. And I just, I'm, I'm appreciative. And I know that so many other people will be in the future too. And I'm hoping that we will be able to do this again. We will love to have you on the show for any other reasons. Even if you just want to chit chat, that's what we do every Sunday at 4 PM. So you just hit us up and we will bring you on. If you're a real housewives girly, a 90 day fiance girly, you tell us and we'll make it happen. Oh, I love that. Love it so much. Thank you. I will definitely take you up on that invitation. Um, yes. Yeah. Stay, stay soft, Cassie. It's okay to cry. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> liquid Tylenol. Is that what you said, Allie? Yeah. Liquid Tylenol right down your cheek. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks guys for listening. As always, go find Allie online. Go follow her. Check out her book, Grief Ally. And let us know what you think. I, I like that we kind of kept this conversation general, but it definitely makes a lot more sense in the context of the book, in the way that you have things structured and laid out for us. Um, so thank you, of course, for joining us. And thank you guys for listening. Um, we hope you enjoy it. And we will catch up with you later. Bye. Bye. Where's this?